Welcome to the Design 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 podcast, where Jan Orvet and I, Jesper Bylund, poke, prod, analyze, and share our opinions on design, the everyday, the mundane, as well as the exceptional, and explore how people affect and are affected by design. I, I think I need to start cutting out when you go because that's just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> do you like my singing? I do, I do, especially when you're uh, mimicking elevator music. That's just <laughs> oh, it's, that's my thing. That's my thing. Yeah, <laughs> and especially when I'm in an elevator with like a whole bunch of other people, and there is no elevator music, and I start going. Oh, that is amazing. Oh yeah, people love it. No one looks really weirdly at me, which is great. <laughs> oh no, this... Whoa, look at this. We're talking about something completely off topic. How weird. That's never happened before. That's true. But it's also something of a scourge in the modern workplace, wouldn't you say? Tell me what you mean. Well, you come into a meeting, because usually you do most of your work in meetings, right? Or at least you spend most of your time in meetings. And uh, the meeting is about something. The meeting has a set agenda or maybe some topic you need to discuss. And there are a ton of people in the meeting. So the meeting is important, or should I say expensive. But then you start talking about what happened this weekend or elevator music. Has that happened to you? It has. It has. And actually, I think that has a value as well, you know, just to sort of get warmed up and, and, and start start talking. But what really bugs me is people who arrive late into a meeting and start yes. talking about the weekend or their point of view and just completely ignore what's been said in the meeting previously. Oh, I hate it. I, I, I literally get like goosebumps for all the wrong reasons when that happens. <laughs> That's fascinating. The thing is, we wanted to talk about meetings and we wanted to talk about what constitutes a good meeting. But when we started talking about that, we realized that we should probably go through some of the things that make a meeting not so good first. Yeah, because there are there are a couple of things that already before a meeting starts that makes it less likely to be a positive meeting or positive in the sense of it achieving what it's set to achieve. Like what it's called. What do you mean? What, what sort of names do you have on meetings that derail the purpose of the meeting? First of all, like where's the meeting? It's in the war room. In the uh, war room. Oh, really? Yeah, and in there, we're really going to make sure that we get everyone marching to the same beat. And this is the race to the finish. Uh, I mean, hello, stress, war, macho bullshit. Wait, wait. So you're saying you do not work in the military? I don't. No, <laughs> no. Uh, and that's, you know what? People that work in the military very rarely use bullshit expressions like this, to be honest. There's no war room in the military. Is that, is that <laughs> there, is, there is there is no war room to have a regular meeting when people are going to talk about something important. I think I'm going to want to fact check you on this one. But this is an interesting topic, though, because we do import a lot of macho terms from other things like the, the war room and the military things. I, I completely agree. This is just this is just some sort of child's fantasy going crazy. But we do the same thing with sports, right? We do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything like the team, obviously team comes from sports, scrum from sports, hit the ground running, race to the finish, keep your eye on the ball. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Actually, if it's agile, it is a sprint, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a marathon off sprints. Yes. And, and those can be equally peculiar. Because that is, it's only one way to look at where one is in a project if one is to hit the ground running or it's the race to the finish. Yes, on one hand, it does help to communicate sort of urgency or where one is in a meeting, but it doesn't do anything else. 
apart from that it doesn't frame the situation it doesn't prepare anyone for what is to be done it's a very simplistic sort of lizard brainy approach to just talk about the terminology that using terminology that is in no way appropriate for what you're doing unless you actually are in a race with other competitors and you're running for example a marathon and get to the finish well then it's probably appropriate to talk about race to the finish but in design no no it's just it's just really really weird and i mean don't even get me started on all the car car stuff full throttle (laughs) gearing up oh my goodness it is sort of clearly macho as well there aren't really any pony race or or not even pony race but there aren't any like pony references there aren't any references from ballroom dancing right it's all the very classic Hmm. macho stuff it's all military cars guns sports like probably the most macho sports as well rugby whatever it's sort of a simplistic and boring theme to to harp on it is and i think it also rewards people who align themselves with that type of terminology for those who use not only these particular expressions that we talk about but that have that type of mindset where pushing and punching and needing to beat someone at every step of the way is how you reach success. There is no empathy, there is no humility, there is no listening, there is no humanity. There there are no people in all of this. This is all very sort of machine-oriented and action-oriented action in terms of something does something else. And it doesn't have anything to do with the people who's actually in charge, could be in charge of, for example, reaching a positive solution. So let me play devil's advocate here, which, as you know, I love to play. One of the reasons we use this sort of terminology is to set up a conflict. And we use a conflict here as as a sort of a, a trigger to get people energized and to get people aligned as a group. So we create some sort of external goal or enemy that we work against. So there's a, there's a conflict between us, our team are working against something else, which makes it really easy for humans aligned because we're we're very, very good at, f- at, at feeling feelings around conflicts. That's why pretty much every narrative ever is around a conflict. Is that a bad thing? Clarity is always a positive thing. But if you stop after painting the picture of sort of us against, for example, a competitor in the market when it comes to releasing a similar product, if you stop there, you really haven't contributed anything to your team's potential ability to actually do something meaningful. Yes, there is always a reason that one does something there is always competition. There is always something to improve. And that's a good thing. But we can communicate that sometimes with these types of expressions, or we can communicate it in other ways. I think a really good example is talking about focus. If we need to go into a war room and hit the ground running, because this is a sprint to the finish, aren't we really making sure that what we are doing is allowing ourselves to collectively focus on something? at the right time to make sure that we reach the goals that we've set out either for ourselves or for our clients or for our clients' clients. And if we talk about it that way, we're actually being inclusive and we're still as emotional, but we're not creating a conflict. We're actually looking at what the what the solution is to what we want to create. That's a very good point. You're not just replacing the language here. You're also structuring the team's goals around a strategy and making sure you focus, which I 
think we're agreed on this, that it means it doesn't mean to say yes to your current goal. It means to say no to everything else except that goal. Yeah. And this also makes me think of a Peter Thiel quote. Now, I know he's controversial, but he has said some really interesting ideas. Um, one of them is that competition is for losers. When you compete, what you're doing is you're artificially constraining what you're competing about so that you have competitors that you can compete with. But whenever you find yourself in a competitive situation, you usually only have to reframe the market or the limitations around the issue a little bit to find that you're not actually in a competition, which usually ends up with a better result, at least in his view. And I think I quite often agree. I didn't think I would ever say that I agree with anything that Peter Thiel says, but I actually agree with this. It, it also illustrates the whole idea of not thinking beyond the immediate. If you look at that there is a race, that there is competition, that there is a and another horrible one, a battle to be won when you know, you know, just launching a new product, then you've decided that you aren't different. You haven't thought it through enough to actually be something that is better or more valuable. You've simply went, okay. We're also going to be quite mediocre. So let's just jump into this mosh pit of mediocreness. Mosh pit, another reference, but at least it's music and concerts. So that's a little bit better. And rethinking all of these expressions are important because words matter. Words always matter. And you don't need more than one or two of these things to be said in the context of, for example, a workshop, another great expression, to really frame the whole situation in a way that almost expects you to be the type of contributor that doesn't listen, that does go into it with sort of a one, two, three knockout punch mindset. And that's not design. That's not even good business. It's a very good point. That's not even collaboration anymore. It's not collaboration, no. And collaboration, I mean, design is collaboration. So why do designers use these expressions? I actually asked uh, a former colleague over the weekend about this. She had a really, really interesting response. She said that designers sometimes feel a need to speak like non-designers do. And what she meant by that is we need to speak the language that our customers speak. So if your client talks about, for example, hitting the ground running and a scrum and war rooms and all that crap, then we need to do that as well. And I can, I can understand that. I, I can understand why it feels like that is a convenient way of doing something. I don't think we're being as good a designers as we can be in that sense, in that instance. Because if we also fall into that trap of feeling that this is the way to talk about something, we've already given up on what we came to do, which is bring people together, find the true reasons the true meaning of what we need to create and thus delivering something that is better and more interesting. That is a lovely thought. But again, playing devil's advocate, she has a really good point. When we're working with clients, we need to adapt their language, not for some sort of salesy sense, but so that we can make sure that they actually understand us. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we do adopt these aggressive terms, then... Perhaps we are setting ourselves up to fail or we're not really leading our clients to, to come to the table in a collaborative mindset. Is that sort of what you mean, maybe? That is indeed what I mean. And I think it's really good to make sure that we speak the same language as our clients. But that doesn't mean that they adopt our language or we adopt their language. And with language, I mean expressions. It's really good to sit down with the clients and, for example, look at when they say war room, 
and we mean and we say collaborative workspace are these actually the same things and how do we make sure that they don't sound as different is there one of these terms that is better than the other or should we maybe call it something else and of course this is more important in longer term collaborations if we're looking at a two week gig maybe it's not that huge of a deal really but over time especially when working together with a client longer term and with the client's team together within our own teams the language is really important it becomes really important because it will affect how everyone turns up to the session if we have a plan of attack for the next two weeks from the client we know just by hearing that word that this is it's very pointy it's very aggressive it's all about charging ahead if we come with a plan that has to do with listening and understanding a situation doing explorative research but we're actually after the same thing it is important that we rephrase that we reshape the wordings because the results will be different when you said this um a thought springs to my mind which is a pet peeve of mine that is only tangentially related to uh, meetings but there's something about this language that says that being calm is a terrible thing like the worst thing you could do is be calm you should rush you should hustle you should attack and i just vehemently disagree i don't think any good work is ever created in a rushed or stressed mindset i completely agree there i think one of the reasons that things that are calm and considered are seen as negative or less effective has to do with the fact that you don't immediately see the results and the the cult of immediacy is ruining businesses left right and center it is quite fascinating because being immediate is of course the antithesis of being strategic which most companies rail about how they want to be mm-hmm. the whole idea of being incredibly fast breaking things blah 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 i mean it's come on or you could just think and make a better informed decision up front and thus do a better job for your ultimate customers and yourself and your business but it is a desperation almost i i worked with a, an agency once upon a time a long long time ago whenever a project came in the agency's rule was always set up a server structure the fact that a lot of the agency's clients never needed anything that required a server was completely lost on the management because setting up a server that was an action a tangible action that could be built that they had to spend you know weeks explaining why this had been done and charged to the client didn't really ever seem to sort of cross their minds it was just an inconvenience they this agency didn't have a lot of positive relationships with their clients but what was even worse is that the teams internally knew that a lot of the work that they did early on in projects wouldn't matter because these were simply actions these were plans of attacks these were these were hitting the ground running that were done purely as theater internally within the agency this is wonderful because this gives me another opportunity to play devil's advocate thank you one of the issues with productivity in general and i think I'm starting to believe that this is sort of built into humans in general is that we we tend to get caught up in our own thoughts and we tend to think about vague things instead of precise 
things. We tend to strategize instead of execute and dream instead of do. This jumping to an action, jumping to a tangible action, even when it's not quite necessary, seems to be a way to get around that problem and actually do things. What do you think of that? Is that is it always a bad thing to start doing before you think? I think it's always a bad thing to just do or to just think. If one takes a, a more considered approach and then doesn't follow that up with action, well, then it's as useless as running, just running you know, headfirst into setting up a service structure when none is needed. Very equally, equally rubbish. But the difference is that if you start from a more human perspective, your end result will be better. So what we're really saying here is that what defeats the war room meetings is not considering what the purpose of this is, but simply taking action through using old verbiage and, and habits learned from a maybe an entire lifetime of just trying to do things instead of think them through. Yeah, and I do think that that is quite quite deeply rooted. It, it's very rare that anyone will be criticized for having done something, but it's quite likely that you will be criticized for having thought about something. And this is this is also a very big difference between working in the West and, and working across Asia. The idea of simply doing for the, for the sake of having done something is not an easy sell in some of the markets where I work. And this is very much a cultural topic. The idea of things having to happen incredibly fast and that there is no timeline apart from now is strange to a lot of clients that I speak to in, um, in Asia. Not all of Asia. I mean, of course, there's huge differences there as well. But the concept of rushing into something, hoping that that's going to be roughly right, instead of just taking you know a minute, two minutes, to considering, discussing, reaching a conclusion with pros and cons, and then running full steam ahead, makes much more sense. And a lot of this has to do as well with the culture of individuality. The idea of us as a team is something that is very, very strong in both Hong Kong, Singapore, where I'm used to working. In the West, it's more about me. I am. I will. It's about me, what I do, rather than the group. And then, of course, it also makes more sense to hit the ground running, to punch through the obstacles, because it's up to me. I need to show that I am doing something. It's not we. It's not about the us. And of course, there's no right or wrong, I mean, in every instance. But thinking about it, I think would be very positive, especially when it comes to meetings, especially when it comes to bringing people together to achieve a result. This is fascinating to me because, as you know, I have no experience working with any of the Asian uh, countries. But I have to ask, as a follow-up on this, have you noticed any differences in verbiage around meetings and meeting culture based on these cultural differences? Absolutely. The very, um, I mean, first of all, sort of Western sport references aren't necessarily as common. Thank the, God. Thank God. References to war and conflict in a non-war and non-mortal conflict sense is very unusual. No one wants to talk about the release of a new milk product by going into a war room if you're in a nation that has just gotten out of war in, you know, 30, 40 years ago. That just, that's just ridiculous. 
Another thing that is very positive is how meetings are often framed as opportunities to hear from everyone, where an agenda can be quite detailed, giving every person in the room an opportunity to share or reflect. And this certainly doesn't happen everywhere all the time either. I mean, very, very strong hierarchies make sure that that's not the case. But the mindset is often there. Let's see how we all think about this. What are our shared experiences that we can bring into this before we make a decision about how to best look after the client? And I like that. I like that a lot because it acknowledges intelligence. It acknowledges contribution, collaboration over just brute force, single point power. This this makes me remember Ray Dalio describing how they use decision matrices in his investment fund, Bridgewater, where everyone in the company is, all of their decisions and all of their projections are stored and compared to actual outcomes, which creates um, a history of reliability, uh, which makes it very likely that people will listen to someone who is super junior and who might not even be working on that topic, but has a high level of accuracy rather than the super senior manager of the department that has a lower degree of accuracy Uh, and i think that's a that's a very interesting but also a bit technocratic way of reaching the same sort of collaboration that -hmm. you're describing i think they're on the right track though uh, because the fact that anyone can tap into this information and do something with it that helps a client that helps the receiver, sorry, recipient, receiver, that would be like American football and that's a sport. So recipient, better. I think that is that that is a positive, that's a positive toolkit to have going into a workshop, for example. So what, do, what should we do? What should we designers do? I think the best thing we can possibly do to make sure that every meeting, every interaction we have is as positive as possible is to start with the language. What do we want to get out of a session? Call it something that is relevant to that session. What we want to happen. Is it about collaboration? Then make sure that it's called collaboration. If this is a very critical time, talk about focus. If this is about finding a larger team, well, make sure it is about identifying skill sets or experiences, because that is also a lot more descriptive than a general term. And we need to start thinking about this even as we start talking to the client. It's mm. not something that is that this happens when we're working with a company or when we're working with a, uh, with a client, but this happens even as we set up our first meetings with someone we w- might want to work with. Absolutely right. So is this enough? So we have a bunch of meetings in the calendar. We've now named them things that are less aggressive, less militaristic. And we've made sure that we're using words that are somewhat more descriptive and focused and maybe deliberate rather than tired old sport references. But there are so many other things that can go wrong in meetings as well. Should we try to touch upon some of them? No. Yes. I mean, sorry. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think these, if, if one has the courage to start with this, based on my own experience, I know two things. One, how many of these other issues that go away? And two, how much more money you make. (laughs) 
<laughs> that sounds like a wonderful deal. <laughs> but it's, no, it's I, quite I, simple. Because if if you have a war room and someone is 15 minutes late, they're going to come in as a special forces person flying through a glass window and just shooting like crazy when they land and talk about whatever they want to talk about. But if you go into a collaboration collaboration session, which is about focus, no one's going to come 15 minutes late and start shooting off their mouth about what they did over the weekend. It just doesn't happen. It really, really doesn't. And the whole sort of revenue aspect, the clients are always interested in the best possible return on investment. One starts seeing that at every stage of a project, when one uses a more considered and inclusive language, it becomes apparent from meeting two or three instead of meeting 10 or 15. And that leads to more work, more resources, and ultimately a much, much better product or service at the end. That might be a lovely way to end it, actually. But I would like to add one more thought, which we might cut out, who knows. Working in this way that you're proposing now, thinking a little bit more about the, the tone of voice you set in uh, before a meeting, it also requires us as designers to be a little bit more deliberate about how we set up meetings and really think things through before we do them. And simply being deliberate, simply doing the work of thinking before we have yet another meeting, I think that in itself is worth something and very, very important to remind us of. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And that is thinking before doing. So, wow, full circle. Hey, presto. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Well done. (laughs) And all these other things that can be annoying in meetings, we'll scatter those uh, across uh, coming episodes because I think this is one of the things that we in the profession that we have chosen are faced with the most. Maybe not that we always are in tricky meetings, but people talk a lot about tricky meetings that don't lead anywhere, that are disruptive, etc. And um, we won't be able to solve that, but we'll be able to talk about it. And maybe there'll be something in this somewhere that will help someone run a more successful meeting, which is beneficial to them. And that'd be great. Definitely. And changing something that is so fundamental as language can lead to so many different results that it's really hard to overstate the importance of what can come out of it. And who knows? Hopefully, it will be some positive change, but it can be so many things. And just talking about it will always make things better. And that is a perfect way of ending this episode. Thank you, Jesper. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Likewise. Have another coffee. (laughs) I will. See you next week. See you next week.